Cinebuds receives support from Associated Bank. Cinebuds, Cinebuds, two buddies talking about cinema. Hi, everybody. I'm Christopher Pollard from Milwaukee Film. And from Radio Milwaukee, I'm Dory Zori. And this is Cinebuds. And this week on Cinebuds, what are we talking about? The Boy and the Heron. Yeah, it's the new Hayao Miyazaki movie. Everyone is eagerly awaiting The Boy and the Heron. So yeah, the new Miyazaki movie's out. Uh, I got to see it uh, last Saturday, mm. and I can't wait to chat about it. It's a masterpiece, jaw-dropping, a triumph. Okay, so I didn't get <laughs> yeah, to see it because yeah. I totally forgot. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I was supposed to see it on That's my day right. off, and I was day-offing. But these are the few things that I read about the movie. Yeah, it is a triumph. Is it? It looks so beautiful. It His movies are always beautiful, and... I feel like the last couple, I maybe l- missed his last film, and I got the vibe that it was more like just historical and personal and less fantastical. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that. I might be mixing it up. So I was like, when this came out, and I didn't see a whole lot of the fantasticness in it, some of the description lended itself to it, but I was wondering, is this going to be like you know, Princess Mononoke or Spirited Away, where it's like beasts and crazy worlds? So it was an interesting mix, because it starts out... In the real world, with a it very takes human place, story. Yeah, it takes place during the Second World War, uh, while war is like raging on, and then kind of moves into the fantasy elements too. So it was nice. Ooh, so it's got a little bit of everything. Yeah. You know that genre fantasy adventure is. I think I had an epiphany. Yeah. One of my favorites because it truly makes me feel like a kid when I watch these yeah. movies more than. I mean, obviously, like. It's understandable why others wouldn't, right? The more complex, like, right. you know, mind psychological thrillers isn't going to make me feel like a kid. But yeah. I just really do appreciate this whole genre. And then animation just is able to take movie making in such a wonderful space that has always been around. But I feel like every year, sometimes and it's yeah. the simpler the animation, but the story is so good, it even is more impactful. I agree. Like, and or you know, you have a, a very simple story, but the animation is like elevated and mm-hmm. it, it enhances it. Like the Spider-Man movie yeah, we watched. Spider-Man's, Spider-Man's. and the uh, TMNTs. <laughs> um, but also, like, yeah, your imagination is limitless, and that's why it's very childlike. Mm-hmm. And then also, the tone of Miyazaki movies harkens back to I think what kids movies used to have which is some darkness to it yes and they people were fine with that i love a kids movie that has a little darkness listen tells the kids what's going on in the world but it also has some birds (laughs) (laughs) well we are going to talk more i've got so many questions for christopher i'm excited to see this movie but i've got a lot of questions to ask first so join us uh for the full podcast to hear all my burning questions absolutely we'll be right back Hey, Wisconsin foodies. This is Tariq Moody of Radio Milwaukee. Join Milwaukee Magazine's food writer Ann Christensen and myself every Friday morning at 8 a.m. for This Bites, Milwaukee's longest-running culinary podcast. We talk about everything from new restaurants, pop-ups, cookbooks, events, and even an occasional interview with a local chef. Head over to RadioMilwaukee.org slash or listen anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, we're back. 
talking about the boy and the heron. All right. So we were, I want to kind of revisit this childlike quality of a fantasy and adventure. Yeah. Um, not everyone can write that. What do you think it is about this um, writer that can do that so well? And oh, yeah. the movie kind of is a pondering too, right? Is it, or is it just a straight up like um, narrative? It, I mean, it is a narrative, but there's a lot of elements. Like, for instance, I noticed there's a YouTube video right now that says the boy and the heron explained where they go through. Because as I was watching it, I was like, a part of me was like, okay, the parakeets, they're what's happening in uh, politics right now. And then, like, like, you could see a little bit of our world reflected in the stuff that was happening. I haven't watched that video because part of me wants to sit with it for a while, Mm -hmm. but I'm curious to see if there's like heavy symbolism. It just seems like there is. I'm sure it is. Kind of like Alice in Wonderland. There is a lot of heavy symbolism in those books and the films too, but it's also easy to ignore if you just take the fantastical. That's right. And also I feel like kids absorb the lesson of it without knowing exactly, oh, this is meant to be this person. And again, this, I mean, I feel like the audience for this film is limitless. I mean, you're going to have kids sing it because of the animation and the, the, the fantasticalness. But I mean, most everyone I know is, is like a big Miyazaki fan and they're grown adults. What did you find to be the lesson that you gleamed from this film? I mean, there was a lot about, I mean, I want to say fascism a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely the, this idea of who controls the world. Literally, in this movie, who controls the world. Um, there are two different worlds at play in the film. And uh, there's a very clear uh, uh, metaphor at one point about the delicate balance of the world and who's in control of that and how hard a fight it is to to make things go well, to be balanced in the universe. So that's, I mean, the very broad dynamic. But you also have, you know, a story about family and um, and magic, mm. always magic. So, yeah, it's beautiful. And the film, so generally the film takes place during the Second World War and a young, just to let everybody know what it's about, there's a young boy whose mother has passed away and his father has married again and she's about to have a baby Mm. and the father's away and he has to spend time with the stepmother who he's very formal with he's not used to this yet and he's in a new space and then he finds this area in the woods that seems mysterious and this heron a gray heron who's around the house a lot sort of leads him and is drawing him into this space and that ends up being a different world that he ha- in, it can inhabit. Ooh, yeah. that is very exciting. Yes, and should is the heron good? Is the heron bad? Uh, one thing the heron is, is Robert Pattinson. That's what I was reading when I <laughs> yeah. saw all the... So there's a Japanese version? Right, use the dubbed or the subtitled. So okay. they have the Japanese cast, and the dubbed has the essentially international cast, mostly American and Brits, but yeah. I don't mind a bit of reading. In fact, I quite enjoy reading. Yeah. But during movies... Certain ones, if I could watch the dubbed over version and it doesn't distract, I think it leaves much more of my brain space for enjoying the beauty and the nuances of the stories. And animation is like the easiest, like there's no, 
I'm sure there's a good argument for watching the subtitle because it's like the original. I get it. Mm-hmm. But it's the easiest way to enjoy a dubbed movie. It's it's not taking away a lot for an English-speaking audience. Um, like it, there's an argument to be made like when you know those celebrity voices. Yeah. Because I remember when I was a kid, if there were famous people in animated films, and I don't think they were. I don't think they had started using really famous people in animation yet. Mm-mm. Once they did, it's like, it's not. It's fun to recognize them, but I think sort of a disconnect. Robert but, Pattinson. But Robert Pattinson was different. Yeah. I mean, did he sound like a vampire? He sounded. You know, uh, he sounded like he was sparkling ever so slightly <laughs> in the sunlight. Doesn't he always? Though? Yeah. Honestly, he was the most unrecognizable. He put on a very like you would never in a million years think it was him. He had a very like very cartoon, mm-hmm. gruff completely unrecognizable voice, which is really fun that you chose Robert Pattinson, but you're fine with him disguising his voice completely. Wow. Now, if I had to guess from my limited knowledge, I'm just going to say a heron's voice would have been a louder and screechier. Yeah, you would think that. Yeah. (laughs) But that's why I like that they didn't go that direction. Yeah. Well, he had a couple different tones depending on, because the heron transforms a bit here and there. Yeah, I don't want to say too much. Yeah. But yeah, but still, at no point. A lot of other people, Christian Bale's in it. You can recognize his voice. Um, I'm trying to think who else. So wait, Robert Pattinson and Christian Bale, two previous Batmans? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's wild. Um, Michael Keaton was not in it. Oh, okay. That's all right. Will Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe was in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he had a he had a, just a small part in it. But oh, Dave Bautista. Oh, the my, wrestler. Love my him. recent uh, favorite person. Oh, I yeah. just recently realized this year that I love Dave Bautista. Um, because the Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy. Because of Knock at the Cabin. Yes. And mm-hmm. then revisiting Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. and realizing how funny he is. And then also, he seems like a really good person. He rescued a pit bull. Oh. And he also he had a friend who had a he had a tattoo based on something about his friend. He had it removed because he realized that friend he realized that friend was homophobic and his mom was a lesbian. So he went over that tattoo. He goes, I have no room in my life for people. I was like, Oh, Dave <gasps> Batista. Yeah, standing up for stuff. You are more than just a giant man. Yeah. Oh, now I just want to see you two <laughs> hugging. You two cuties just I appreciating would love to each hug other. Dave Batista. All right. Also, I, one more name jumped off the pages yeah. here. Mark Hamill. Yeah. Who's been in more than one film. He's been in two other films by this director. Oh, I didn't even realize mm-hmm. that. But he does a ton of voiceover stuff. He was famously the Joker in the animated Batman uh, series. But he's been, he does a ton of voices. And he's another one that you won't recognize Mark Hamill's voice because it's usually one of his little creations. I love it. Yeah. Mark Hamill, a.k.a. Luke Skywalker. That's for right. Anyone that I have to say that to. So opening <laughs> weekend of this movie, in Japan, they made 1.83 billion yen, yeah. which translates into about $12 million. For Japan? And Japan's not a big country. Yeah, that's a pretty good yeah, opening weekend. Good, yeah, Right? Yeah, I would imagine. For a non-blockbuster. I would say so. And uh, that's just in Japan? That's just in Japan. Mm, that's pretty good. Um, okay, so you talked about Robert Pattinson, all the voice actors. So you enjoyed watching it in the dub. What was the coolest thing about the animation? Any new or oh, techniques or something that I stands think, out? Yeah, I think the thing that he does great. First of all, it's the traditional 2D animation drawn, 
you know. Um, the backgrounds aren't look like painted, beautiful backgrounds, and then you see the the movable animation in the foreground. His he's just incredibly creative. I f- you know what I actually was thinking while I was watching the movie is that we have maybe it's just West versus East, like the Western version. If you're gonna have a ghost. There's a few different ways you create or think about what ghosts would look like Mm -hmm. or what certain creatures like a dragon, let's say, or something, you know, whatever. But and then we even within the many ways you could do it in the West, we have a kind of a a parameter. But he all of the stuff that he does is just you would never think to create something in this way. There's a moment where the main character's sort of being drawn in and all of a sudden all these frogs come out of nowhere and are just covering his body to where it's just his face is poking out and he is just dripping in frogs. <laughs> and it becomes almost like a creature unto itself. It's just, and then um, Spirited Away is another great example, the, f- the, the sort of ghost figure that and I forgot what it's called. And it has this voice that just sounds, and I love doing this, it just sounds like this. And I kept thinking, who would come up with a voice that is just like like the cutest little sweetheart clearing their throat? That's what it sounds like. <laughs> but you're kind of an ominous figure, but you sound like this. <sighs> That's it. It's just completely out of the box for as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, all of his, I feel like all of his creatures, and in this one there's a lot of birds. Like the heron is obviously the a main character but there's an army of uh, budgies or like parakeets mm-hmm. which are colorful and adorable but they're sort of the villains Ooh, which fun. is really f- funny and my friend who i saw it with i just kept hearing him chuckle real loud anytime one of the budgies was on screen nice. <laughs> just the idea of it made him laugh um so yeah it's just wildly imaginative but like he's like i said hand these beautiful hand-painted s- scenes with you know the brilliant imaginative stuff in the foreground is great nice final question for you um the soundtrack the score oh yeah piano heavy very beautiful very beautiful really spare in a lot of moments and i actually was and i feel like all of his films have a really lovely score and i don't know if they're all done by the same person or not i do know it was uh nominated for uh the score was nominated for uh, Golden Globe mm-hmm. as of a couple days ago as was the movie for best animated film um, but yeah it is lovely it's always the the right tone uh-huh. but then it you know it swells with the action but there's always this light piano in the background in these like more quiet scenes and you, it is delightful do you recall what um, instrument was kind of like the accompaniment mostly for the stork oh for the stork I don't did you, did you? No, no, I'm no. just curious. It's just a thought. They no, I don't There's know. a different instrument for different no. Yeah, characters. I'm not sure if they did that. They may have. They're, I'm sure there are themes within it, depending on what's going on or, or who's who's at play. But no, I, all I really, what the real standout for me was just that light piano during mm-hmm. the quiet scenes. Because it, remind, it reminded me one of his other films. Like, oh yeah, this is the first time I recognize he kind of, this is a thing he does. Mm-hmm. This lighter kind of sweet tone during these quiet moments that will repeat with bigger, you know, bigger sounds later. Uh, but I really loved it. I really, that it was a real standout. Wonderful. Have I missed my opportunity to see this in a theater? No, it is still out. Just opened last week. And so I'm sure it'll be out for a couple of weeks. Miyazaki is like out of all of the, you know, Asian animation, the anime from that area, 
he's the master. I mean, he's a master storyteller. Everyone uses that phrase when they talk about him. And it's true. All of his like fables, essentially all of his (laughs) tales are so wildly imaginative. That's why I think he's, he's like the, 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 the best you can get really. So, um, I think it's going to do really well. The thing that makes me sad is knowing, and I go, I know it's, it's kind of inconsequential, but at these award shows, which every year I'm never going to stop repeating, I both hate and love. Yes. (laughs) I mostly love to hate them. Um, I don't know. I don't think he's going to win. Like Disney has such a tight grip on that industry even a film like Wish, which just came out and has gotten terrible reviews, but it's still nominated for an Oscar because it's a Disney film. Mm-hmm. It's gotten horrendous reviews. No one's talking about it that I can tell. And it's nominated instantly. Because it's the achievement in the animation, not I suppose so, but concurrent it's, with the storyline. I just don't know that it's... Once you've achieved it, mm-hmm. by repeating it, is that an achievement? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually the opposite of it's achieving opposite more. Of achievement. It's like, this is kind of the samey. Um, now, I'm saying this without having seen Wish. I'm just basically. But <laughs> I'm also just angry because they always have such a firm grip. And there's always a clear, better film. Mm-hmm. But Boy and the Heron, and I've seen some of the nominations, and there's some good ones. But Boy and the Heron is... Miyazaki's an absolute standout. So, all right, passionate about it. Enough said. I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm not going to challenge that. I totally believe you, and I'm looking forward to seeing this in the theater. That's all I care to hear. Yeah. <laughs> so this brings us on to something that I am excited to know if you've yes. watched. Uh, what have we been watching? Monarch Legacy of Monsters. No, what is, is that? It's a TV series starring Kurt Russell as the main person that you would know in it. It kind of picks up where... Um, is this it, a new thing? Yeah, it's okay. a new series that's on Apple. I've got so many streaming services. Oh, yeah. I'm one of those subscription sure. services. <laughs> but um, it kind of leaves off like two years after Godzilla and the Titans are fighting in San Francisco. And what happens after the aftermath of monsters really devastating your city? The monsters don't just go away. And then what are the people's lives left to deal with? So part of it is the story of a school teacher who lost some of her students um, in the Godzilla attack. But then it kind of flashes back, and that was like set in like 2013, 2015. But then it has flashbacks to the early 50s when this group, the Monarchs, started around the time of the first discovery of monsters. Like they made an allusion in the first episode to King Kong on Kong Island or okay. Skull Island yeah. back in the 40s. So it's I'm not quite sure exactly where it's going and it's all tied together, but there are some hot spots on Earth today and more new monsters are appearing. So not oh. only are there government task teams trying to figure that out, but also scientists trying to do experiments on on the DNA of the monsters and right. then just the devastating aftermath of what happens in these cities after monsters come through and pretty much destroy it oh that's interesting Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of um there's also that new what is it the new um there's a godzilla there's a new godzilla out yeah godzilla minus one 
And I've been hearing a lot of good things about that too. I haven't watched but that one yet. I haven't seen yet. that either. But Monarch sounds interesting, especially if it's got Kurt Russell in it. Yeah. And he's, it's interesting too. Like there could be um, multiverses or weird Uh-oh. timelines because they made a, they, if you do the math when you do the flashbacks, Kurt Russell's character in the present would be like in his 90s. But he's only oh. in his like <laughs> early seventies, and they make reference to that a couple times. Oh, so really? there could be a fantastical oh. science fiction fantasy adventure whole Little we're element go there. Oh, that yeah. sounds nice. Yeah. So it's but it's a good watch, and it's it's fun. And I think a, I'm waiting for summer to get Apple TV finally, mm-hmm. because then I'll have time to like. That's when apples are the freshest. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. I want that fresh Apple TV right off, right off the, right off the limbs. Um, I've been waiting. I don't know why, because there's a ton of stuff on it, like Ted Lasso and a bunch of things that I would mm-hmm. like to see, but I've never had it before. So I do that thing where I switch one out. I'm like, I'll stop this one. I'll do this one That's for a smart. while. That's smart. You just yeah. don't say yes to everything and then forget how many. No, I do that too. This is why paying. I have a new system because I did plenty of that. Well, what have you been watching and or reading? Well, I we talked recently about digging into the all the Jane Eyre mm-hmm. adaptations, and then it reminded me of my other deep dives that I wanted to do. The two being Sherlock Holmes films and Christmas Carols. All the Christmas Carol. But I found there's a ton of Sherlock Holmes stuff on Amazon Prime right now. And Basil Rathbone was one of the classic Sherlock Holmes. And there's several films that he did. And I've never seen one. So I watched. If that's not a movie star name, though. I know, right? What is? The most most British name I can think of. Right? Basil Rathbone. (laughs) Um, So I watched Dressed to Kill, which Mm. uh, was a is a um, Basil Rathbone Sherlock Holmes film and I did not care for it. <laughs> the thing that makes me nervous is that he's supposed to be one of the most classic Holmeses and I was not, I mean, he's fine and the, <laughs> and uh, Nigel Bruce plays uh, Dr. Watson, but the production itself was kind of boring to me a little oh. bit, but maybe that's not one of the better ones. So I'm going to still going to dig around. Yeah. Give give old Basil another shot, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I want to dig in. It's also interesting to see, like I love the books and I've read all, I think every all of the stories in the novels. I think mean, I got one novel left. To see the development of his character from the books into the early movies and now are the current incarnations, which the current incarnations make him much more troubling, like much more like. Uh, uh, like self-centered, yes, and like to I don't I'm like arrogant, mm-hmm. but in a I can't help it kind of way because I've got yeah because <laughs> I'm genius. a genius mm-hmm. and I can't help but be self-centered and rude. It's I like it. I think it's an interesting take, but it wasn't as prevalent in the early films or books. The early films and books wasn't more like I'm just good at figuring stuff out. He was confident, but he wasn't as a little bit, like there's like a little bit of like, you know, Lestrat, who's the the captain. He makes a little bit of fun of him because he he can't catch on. Um, there's a little bit of it, but to such a degree that they do it now, it's so incredibly amplified uh, now, which is interesting. But I like seeing like the kernel of a thing that they then go bananas with yeah. in the future. But yeah, that's why I think I like 
I mean, I love that character in general, but seeing all the different versions of it in the evolution is really interesting. Cool. Well, you nerd out. So many more to go. I can't I wait to hear. So many. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up another week of Cinnabuds. That's right. And Boy and the Herons in the theaters. And I, I can't recommend it enough. It's on my on my top list for the year. Awesome. Well, I promise to see it. And then I we can do a little mini. I'll just say, yes, I agree to everything you said in that other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would just be easier. You know, that's just easiest. Shout out to Kim Shine, the producer of yeah. Cinnabuds. Thank you, Kim. And thank you to Newski, who does our wonderful theme song. And we really would like to thank our sponsors of Cinnabuds. That would be Associated Bank. Thank you, Associated Bank. And thank you to all of the members, both from Radio Milwaukee and from Milwaukee Film. We could not do this without you. Indeed. Go out and see a movie. Yep. We'll see you there.